welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 332. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Star Trek Prodigy's first season episodes, Ghost in the Machine and Mindwalk. Ghost in the Machine, Season 1, Episode 17, original release date, December 8, 2022, directed by Andrew L. Schmidt, written by Chad Quant, guest cast include Jason Alexander as Dr. Noom and Bonnie Gordon as Ship Computer. The crew unsuccessfully used the holodeck to simulate attempts to warn the Dauntless of the virus. They are then trapped inside their own personal holodeck simulations. Zero's detective stories, Jankum's street fighting simulation, a jazz club program for Murph, and an algorithm of Dell's private simulation and Rock's virtual pet game. The further into the maze we go, the more the simulations merge. There's thousands of programs in the databanks. Why is it choosing all of ours? (gasps) Fascinating observation. The holodeck may have more than a malfunction. It has a motive. Are you saying this is happening for a reason? Adam, get us going on Ghost in the Machine. It's a good movie, by the way. Ghost in the Machine. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in a while. Now, this, um, this is a good episode. They start off, you know, they're doing the the simulations in the holodeck. They're kind of their own Kobayashi Maru, you know, no-win scenario. And, you know, they're frustrated, you know, these... Things that we saw early on in the first half of the first season, kind of these team building exercises that they're doing, but now it's for real. Now they're trying to actually complete like a real mission. They want to warn Starfleet. They don't want to have this destruction, you know, ravaged upon um, the place that they want to join. So, um, you know, so in essence, this is kind of a holodeck episode, which we've seen numerous times throughout Star Trek since Next Gen started. Yeah, and it's it's challenging for them because these are just the the things that they they like to do on their holodeck, and it's kind of kind of a weird um, ride through each of their own personalities. Because it, you know, if you think about it, a holodeck, if you go there and you visit it, it's a fantasy. You want to go there and and escape, and so it's similar for them. And it's interesting to go through all their all their things. So I I took it away. It's a good and it good. It moves the um, story along. You know, in the next episode, we're kind of going to get some more climactic. Um, things that happen, and so yeah, it's I, I dug this episode. Steve, your first thoughts? Uh, you know, I thought I thought there were pros and cons. I mean, I don't think it's the best holodeck centric episode of all time by any means, or close to it. But I think that uh, I think it is true that you do learn something about a character by what they do for recreation, and so getting a little bit of that background was cool. It is really a uh, there's a lot of a lot of cheesy, strange, odd stuff, you know. In this, um, I think I think what's more interesting than actually, you know, what they went through is the whole bit with the Janeway hologram and having been essentially hacked, where she doesn't even know she's doing things, and that really kind of it's kind of creepy in a way because that means it's been going on the whole time, you know, that uh, she's been potentially manipulative and not even knowing she's doing that, and so I think I think that's an interesting component to the series um but it definitely feels like now we're on the on the road to getting to a getting to the the main event you know which will be coming up in the last two episodes of this season but uh yeah so i i thought it was fine and fun but there's a lot of silliness that's a bit much sometimes but yeah i did note that dal didn't brush his teeth before he went to bed i thought that was a (laughs) bad message to send to kids yeah yeah his genetically enhanced teeth they clean themselves that must be it 
<laughs> what, they got little brushes that move back like windshield wipers? Special saliva. It's interesting to watch this episode through the context of everything is supposed to just be making them all spin their wheels, you know, waste their time. Because you've got the Gwen chatting with her, with the bartender that looks an awful lot like Dad. I forget, at this point, do they know that the Diviner is I don't on think the so. Dauntless? I don't think so. No, no, I don't believe so. Steve, did your child like Murph singing? I guess, but it wasn't like a, it was more uh, confounding. I think it was more perplexed by it was so bizarre, you know. But it was it was fine. It, she wasn't she didn't object to it or anything. But I think it was more just like, huh, you know. It, it was it was just kind of weird. I like the pirate ship. Yeah, that was fun. It's fun how everybody has kind of their own little different holodeck. Of course, zeros is that. Cellar Door Society? How is that a puzzle reference? I don't get that one. And there's, there's some stuff in there that really feels Sherlock Holmes-like, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Some of the verbiage of the titles and the mysteries, but, you know. Yeah. And that that's a, like it's kind of almost like a library at the bottom of a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. But it is Zero that starts to figure it out. You know, she's the first person, I don't know, halfway-ish through the episode that starts to get an inkling. Yeah. That the holodeck may have a, a motive or something. There's something else going on, and then ultimately completely figures it out at the end. Janeway holodeck the, had been nip, manipulated before, right? Um, we had the evil Janeway hologram several episodes back, right? Oh yeah, there was a bit of that. Yep. Oh, that uh, ice cream doesn't look anything like ice cream. At the beginning of the episode, <laughs> no. I thought it was just yeah. gross. I was like, what you are don't they know doing it's ice there? Cream until much later, when they reference it as ice cream. Mm-hmm. Oh, the ice yeah. cream was fake. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, it did not look like ice cream at all. It's it like looks some like gelatinous. Yeah, like scoops of jello mustard with bacon or something. <laughs> Which does sound like something Jenkin Pog would like, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there wasn't a lot that blew me away really. A lot of a lot of the, the tropes they used were things we've seen before in terms of moving the plot along or not to doing so, but I, I, I understand also it's the audience too. They can't get make it overly complex or whatever, but I wonder when a show like this how much because, you know, if, I mean, if it was live action, then obviously the difference between writing it so that they could shoot it in a back alley with some bikers, that's much, much, much cheaper than and easier to conceive of than, say, some big future sci-fi city like we saw in a recent episode when they went to see the Genesis with Akona. Akuna. Akona. But here there's, it's, it's like back alley with bikers, 30s, um, you know, speakeasy or whatever that is, pirate ship, library at the bottom of the lighthouse. You know, these are almost generic things. You could you could buy some of that stuff, I don't know, a 3D model for the books in the library, probably just right off the internet. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, does is that does any of that sort of thing come into play at all here? Does that actually save them money and time? I have no idea how that works. Right, it wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I don't know. And if so, then is that that is a part of the conversation? And when they're writing, just as if it was live action. I mean, maybe not to the extreme that it would be for live action, but I mean, we used to hear about like on Next Gen for budget, they would say you get four phaser blasts in this episode. Mm-hmm. Right, we we heard yeah. about that sort of thing a lot. You know, and they would have to write around that sort of thing. Surely, 
that level of detail is is irrelevant here. I mean, I would think, but I do wonder, like, you can have these bikers fight, this biker fight in an alley, but you can't have it in a, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Or like they use all those nondescript alien kind of heads on these bodies for much of the holodeck stuff, right? Because when they start mixing them all up, that's probably way easier and cheaper than yeah. having them all be distinct characters or just in general, lack of detail is better. You know, if you if you have a dark alley, you just don't have to show as much. And so it's simpler in some respect. The, it's kind of interesting. Well, this episode's significant in its placement because this will be probably be the last time this crew will be together on their own in this series. This will be the last episode because you know, we get it, we get into the, the finals coming up. Um, so yeah, this is their kind of their last adventure together for themselves. I would agree with you. You know, they might could have come up with a better scenario or something a little bit more themat- thematical. But I mean, you know, it's, you got to know they all got to explore a little bit of each of themselves in this episode. I mean, I guess if we're reaching for explanations we could say they were probably limited by whatever holodeck scenarios were already on the thing not necessarily their own past experiences which is which is why we get things like pirate ships and back alleys and 30s speakeasies mm-hmm. yeah i don't know that i love murph singing <laughs> i can handle the black and white but murph singing is almost breaking murph to me but you know. yeah trick doesn't have a great record with people breaking into song i mean we've there are exceptions to that but uh odds are if you just decide that that's going to happen taking a chance we're going to get to talk about it for a whole hour before too long (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm speaking of of course (laughs) or 30 minutes at least we do two episodes what is this episode about Coming together, I mean, I kind of struggled with kind of coming together with a cohesive theme, what they were trying to say um, with this. But what I was saying early on in the in this episode is they're kind of they're coming together. We saw all these tests early on in the series where they're these kind of team building episodes or exercises. Um, I feel like in this episode they feel like a coherent crew where they trust each other and they listen to each other and it's not as chaotic. So I think in that respect, you, you see how far they've come in these um, first 18 episodes. Yeah, I think, I think uh, I I agree. They've, um, they've certainly developed. I think this episode isn't one of the better ones. And so it's not so easy to nail down a theme or something. Maybe that it's, um, the the whole notion of trying trying to think outside the box when solving problems and that kind of thing ultimately that's what leads them to the uh, the solution is is that you are trying to answer the wrong question essentially. All right, let's do six degrees for Ghost in the Machine. Adam. Yes. John Noble plays the Diviner. I don't think I've asked about this show before. All right, he played Walter Bishop in what sci-fi series from Star Trek? Producers, directors, writers, J.J. Abrams, Roberto Orzi, and Alex Kurtzman uh, that ran from 2008 to 2013. Would be Fringe, right? Very good. For no extra points, who was the biggest Star Trek star to guest on that show? A few times. Nimoy. Yes, sir. Very good. I take it you watched Fringe. Yes. 
That's the only way I think you get that answer. <laughs> if you watch that show. Yeah, he was on two or three episodes. Nimoy was, yeah. But Noble was in the whole show, right? Yeah. So yeah. Finished. Mm-hmm. All right. Adam has a point. Moving on. Mindwalk Season 1, Episode 18. Original release date, December 15th, 2022. Directed by Sung Shin. Written by Julie and Shauna Benson. Guest cast include Jason Alexander as Dr. Noon. Robert Beltran as Captain Chakotay. David Diggs as Commander Tysus. And Jamila Jamil as Asensia. <laughs> The protostar heads for Federation space, with the Dauntless close behind. Dal uses telepathy to warn Admiral Janeway about the construct, but accidentally swaps bodies with her. Janeway and Dal's body learns the story of the protostar's young crew, repairs hologram Janeway, and vows to help them. On the Dauntless, Dal's attempts to pass as Admiral arouse just a bit of suspicion. What's going on? What's wrong with my voice? I know you. You're Gwyn and Zero and Rock Talk. Wait, how did I get onto the Proto Star? You're not making any sense. Uh, did you reach the Admiral or not? Whoa, whoa, whoa! He didn't read her mind. He lost his mind. Indeed, this is not Dal. Of course not. I'm Admiral Janeway. All right, Steve. If you recall, this was the episode I loved so much that I texted you when it came out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. My opinion, this episode has not changed. (laughs) What are your first thoughts? I think you have the knee-jerk reaction to a body switching episode, as there's a lot of lot of corn to that. You know, there's it's 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 very easy to go over the top with that kind of thing. I was trying to think though, in terms of what the writers had to do at some point, and like at some point, you have to get communication without having communication. You know, between these sides, or because of the way this has all been set up in terms. Of, so I think in that sense, your options were a bit limited in terms of how you do it. So you get past, you know, Janeway's carrying on or rather Dal's carrying on as in Janeway's body on the ship and all this goofy stuff. I think, I think what, I, what I do like a lot about this is, is that it, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's the first time I felt this way, but I definitely felt when, when Kate Mulgrew as Janeway felt like Janeway, when she's even as Dal on the, on the ship or when, and Dal's body, when all that started happening and you had that moment where the holographic Janeway and the real Janeway speak and that kind of, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, 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 I liked that and it felt like, Oh, this is Jane. This really feels like, you know, Jane, we watched through Voyager and all of that. And that, that I, that I liked. Um, and I thought the, um, I thought, I thought in stark contrast to the one we just talked about, the production value of it felt higher end, you know, they had that whole big thing where they're, you know, trans trying to get them to touch on the ship and their phaser and all this kind of stuff going on. I, I did, I did like that as well. I thought, I thought it was, um, all that animation was really good. And, um, it felt like, you know, leading up to the big two part finale. I thought this was a good step. Sounds like I'm going to be praising this episode more than you guys, but let's see what Adam has to say. So it took me a second to kind of get back, get past the target audience. It's where you have this buildup. You have this buildup in your head. You know, they're going to come together. The Janeway is going to meet this crew. (laughs) A body swap wasn't exactly like what I was picturing, but it is amusing. And then again, I have to remember who the target audience is for this series. It's it's children. So there has to be a little bit of um, levity that's put into this show for children. I mean, 
if this was um, one of the the main primetime series, I think there would have been a more a little bit more levity to this um, type of storytelling. Now, once I got past that, I, I kind of you know you kind of suspend your disbelief, and you know I didn't I enjoyed it. It's it was amusing at times. Um, I think I'm with Steve. the The Pictionary was a little over the top, but again, this is this is, uh, series is made for you know eight and up or seven and up, so. That's that's something you want to keep kids engaged in is um it's just this kind of fanciful kind of whimsical things that kind of happen along the way in um in children's television, but yeah once it's it was fun to see the Dal character as Janeway I mean they they did it really well I mean you could tell all, all of us as the audience knew it was Dal just body movements body movements and um um Kate Mulgrew did a great did a great job with the tone Dale's highs and lows he's got a, a very you know his his voice has a um, a lot of octave to it up and down and so um kate mulgrove was able to to replicate that in the character and so i, I found that was that was um it was a good performance a good animated performance um jameway on the ship was it was cool i mean they it was kind of nice they had that moment between the hologram and her you know and they were both they're both who they were so you got kind of got a chance to see that um, there and like I said, this was this has all been building up for you know the whole season. You know them, Janeway meeting the actual real protostar crew, them telling their stories. So I, you know, I was definitely satisfied with the episode. Like I said, it took me a second to kind of like, okay, they're doing this. All right, let's go with it. And just, you kind of just buy in. So I would say it didn't. I, I bought in pretty quickly. It just kind of threw me at first. Well, I not only think this is by far the best episode of this series i think it's so great that i'll be surprised if they ever top it i think if if this isn't prodigy's city on the edge forever it's like you know as close as they're gonna get it's maybe like a notch below that sort of thing but this is like the visitor inner light observer effect for me for this show i think this this show this episode is brilliant i think if i was the target audience that i would even be more nutty about it i think it's um very clever and very smart and so perfectly encapsulates everything this show has ever tried to do, including the tone, which it sounds like you guys thought maybe it was a little bit too goofy, but I thought actually the tone was perfectly uh, toeing the line between almost like serious sci-fi show and little kids show with humor. Uh, I thought that they decent part of it it's not just the story and the writing but a solid significant part are the performances what's his name brad gray i think who does dow and obviously mulgrew doing janeway they nail it so well it's just like you you were saying steve you could tell it was janeway even when it was brad gray speaking as dow um and then janeway mcgrew as dal as janeway i thought even did a better job than brad gray I mean, she made me laugh out loud many times. <laughs> she was she was great. You know, my brains are fine. I'm just busy thinking real hard. That's all. <laughs> it's nice like that. Or on the was on the bridge. Nice to see you. <laughs> I feel like this episode is what this show is thinks that it is and tries to be a lot and never quite achieves. And here they did it. And it even has like you guys were, like you were talking about like great. Some, some really good action and design work that the, all the stuff in the yeah as they're about to physically touch which almost wouldn't have made sense and i remember thinking like well that doesn't make sense if you're saying they got to physically touch but they're really touching suits but then that's not what they do anyway so it doesn't matter we don't have to wonder about that 
they end up doing the same thing they did before, you know, like this phaser connection thing. I just think it's, it was, it's so much fun and it's so unexpected. And again, very clever. Like you were saying, how are they going to communicate without being able to communicate? And here they figured it out. And even right down to, we've seen this sort of thing before. And the real kind of reaction is that they get away with it. Or like, you know, Janeway, Dal Janeway on the Dauntless, people would just be following the orders and they'd be figuring, no, here they they put her in the brig, <laughs> you know? Well, first they put her in sickbay and then they put her in the brig when she escapes sick, which is exactly what you would think would actually happen. I love that we get, for the first time ever, a real actual moment with the Diviner. It's one tiny short little sequence. He's got just a few lines and he releases uh, Janeway. And it's the it's almost like his redemption in this tiny, tiny moment. And part of what makes that work is I mean, he says something about, like, you guys saved me, but that's not the reason he's doing it. He saw what kind of people they were. Yes, but he's he saw that he, they could be trusted. But I think that he, more than anything, you know, he wants to save his daughter. And that's clearly not going to happen if he lets Asensia's, you know, the, the existing plan go through with it. I, I just think this episode is fantastic, and I really enjoyed watching it. It's a shame the number of people that I am certain would really love this show if they saw episodes like this and haven't. And obviously not enough people did. Uh, otherwise, Paramount would not have dropped this show. I do remember reading at the time because I was so blown away by this episode. So I was it was the one time I like wanted to know, how, how did they do this? So I did research it. And Brad Gray recorded some of those lines as he would play them for Mulgrew and vice versa. So they each one had an idea of like, you know, how to read some of the lines and hmm. pitch and tone type thing. Yeah. Then mm. I did the trick. That was one of the things that I was most flabbergasted. Like how could they do this so perfectly? But even with, you know, a sample recording or something still, they're both so good. Yeah. I think, I think the, for me, the performances were the highlight and, 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 and what I think was interesting for some reason, while I appreciated what they did when basically imitating each other and doing that whole kind of thing, again, coming back to Janeway feeling like Janeway. And again, I'm not knocking that. The, I'm not saying the rest of the time she didn't feel like that. It just, there's something about this, especially in that moment where the, the, you know, the holographic Janeway and, and Admiral Janeway are talking where it just felt so like, that's Janeway I know. It's like, you know, picking up ap- off from Voyager or something. That's that's what it felt like. And I was very impressed with her inhabiting that character in that way. And that's also says something about the writing too. It is an oddly sweet moment. I mean, it's, again, mm-hmm. it's a clever, there's a clever little way to transition from hearing Dal and seeing Dal to seeing Admiral Janeway and Kate McGrew playing the character, even though we all still understand, oh, it's actually still Dal standing there, Dal's physical body. But the way Admiral Janeway treats hologram Janeway, there's um, there's almost like a, a respect as a crew member or something, you know, like you could see other, maybe other people wouldn't, mm-hmm. but obviously Janeway has a history she has it. She had a full-time holographic crew member for seven years uh, with the doctor. But there's also some kind of like I guess she must have donated her memories or something, right? 
Yeah, that must be somehow or another. Yeah. That's right, right. Um, so like she feels that would make sense though. I don't know. Is she definitely it's it's clear that hologram Janeway has looks up to her and has a connection with her, you know, and respects her in a in a in a way. I mean, we saw that I think early on in the season when she said something like she was modeled after. Well, yeah, it would be a, it would be a, a certain deference that I think would be natural, uh, kind of in a it'd be analogous to some extent, like child to parent, or even um, how some would view a deity or something. You know, in terms of a creator, if you're literally coming from that individual or you are an offspring or something about you is very much what makes them up. I mean, I, that's it's an interesting thing. Even. Um, the Admiral's on the hole, and we should see Dal climbing around. It made me laugh out loud. Janeway Dal popping out on the back of the Dauntless, and uh, I'm on the wrong side of the ship. Right, right. You know, it's a simple thing, but of course that would happen. Dal has no idea where he's going on the yeah. ship. Zero's, what's a rodeo line? Made me laugh out loud. Zero always has the best lines. Then another sweet moment when Janeway... As Dal tells Gwen that Dal would could never be admitted into the Federation because Dal is an augment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you've put this weight on Gwen to have to, you know, break that news to him. I, I, it's it's just good. It, and it, and so much of this episode, like if this episode had been episode three, wouldn't have worked. They had a lot of build up to this episode. Suspense. Yes, it's it's just it's unusual for us, the three of us, to like you guys. It's unusual that we're not quite on the same page. Like, sounds like to you guys, this was a fairly average episode of this show, and to me, it's it's not even in the same ballpark. I liked it, but I wasn't. Like, would you would you call this the best episode of the series? Even no, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, you were blown yeah. away by it. It's it's not like I I liked it, but it wasn't. I didn't finish the episode and think um, on the city of edge, edge of forever. That's for sure. Let's say one <laughs> tiny notch below that. Yeah, let's I didn't, do that. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't putting it in the upper, upper echelons of um, yeah, Star Trek episodes. Yeah. Um, so no, I mean, I liked it fine. It was good. I'm, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a clever way to tell a story that's been told multiple times. And it was a good, it was a good payoff for, for, you know, like I said, they've been building up to this for, for 17 episodes, you know, when are, when are Jane, when are we going to see the Janeway and the Janeway cat or Admiral Janeway and this crew together? So from that standpoint, yeah, it was, um, it was satisfying. I walked, I walked away from this episode feeling like satisfied that, you know, they got to meet, they got to mm-hmm. resolve a lot of those things that have been um up in the air on this episode. Yeah, I quite liked it. I'm not sure why it's not. It doesn't connect with me in the same way it's connecting with you on on an emotional level. You know, I don't. I don't know why that would be. I I I, I recognize um, the machinations of the, what they did. How it was so interesting in terms of moving the plot along by doing taking this route. I rec- like I said, I recognize the performances and the um, and uh, a lot of the animation and the effects animation. I, I was really impressed with all of that in terms of it being big that way. I don't know why the story doesn't quite click with me like it like it is with you. I think maybe Brian is like because this has. I mean, you know, the body swapping. If they'd done something like completely original, you know, when I look back at the you know those episodes that you were talking about before, it was something either something new that was done great or they 
you know, there was just something more unique about this, about those episodes you were referring to before, Brian. I didn't, I didn't look at this episode and, and think unique, if that makes sense. But it doesn't mean I didn't like it or I didn't enjoy it. Fair enough. I think what's interesting to evaluate, though, are certain plot devices and how they affect one's view of something or how it taints it one way or the other. Like, I, I couldn't help but think about how so many of, like, um, the, the Trek episodes that we consider those, those ones that are very up in the actual, you know, top 10 ever type episodes, there's more than their fair share of time travel involved, right? But I imagine for some people, time travel at all would be a turn off, you know, like it would say like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't happen. So I'm ignoring everything else this episode does for me. Right. And I wonder if the plot device of body switching might do something like that for me a little bit with this. Maybe. And those other episodes that you referred to, I mean, there's an emotional, really an emotional hook in, in those other Trek episodes. And I can see there's an, there is an emotional hook in this episode. It's the, you know, Janeway meeting this crew. That's the, you know, that's been the buildup that's been, keep saying this over and over, but that's, so that, there is an emotional hook in this episode. It's just not quite as, I wouldn't say it's as strong as I felt on some of those other episodes. What is this episode about? Well, the, a lot of this episode, it's about trusting. So a lot of these episodes are trusting each other. You know, it's Dal trusting Zero to perform this thing and, and learning about walking in somebody else's shoes. It's obviously it's a, on the nose there, but Janeway in Dal's body, learning firsthand who this crew is. And I believe she said this somewhere in, in, along in the episode that she was mistaken. She, you know, her, her impressions of them were, were wrong and mistaken and that she glad she got to know them. So it was nice to see that things as, as the audience that we've known about this crew for a long time, Janeway being on the other side of it, just trying to hunt down a ship, trying to find um, Chakotay to realize that um, these are good kids and they're heroes in a lot of ways. And so and that's good. And, and Dow on the other side of the, the ship, you know, he's his whole persona, this whole series is, is to be the leader and to be the captain. So it makes sense that he would be Janeway over there and have to really experience it from uh, the Starfleet's, a real Starfleet point of view. Yeah, I think that's what's what's interesting here, and maybe maybe this is this element of it is is something that has not been done quite like this in another in Trek or whatever. But this, I think, what it's about is that is that is like you said, walking in someone's shoes, but on a deeper level, right? It's like a sometimes the only way to understand someone else or to really learn is to do something very risky. And in this case, they didn't choose to trade bodies, but you know, that, that essentially that, that major event is the only thing that could really bring them to that level where they had, they could understand each other's positions. But the, the leap of faith notion does apply because, you know, when they, when they have to fix things back and they knew this is only going to work if we get back to where we were they did have to take some extreme measures and do some pretty extreme things including you know not only leaving the ship but then shooting essentially herself all these kinds of things i, I so I, I think i think that's really interesting and i think um like the the communication with uh janeway and hologram janeway and some of that sharing and merging of minds also you know works works with the, the rest of the theme of this episode too cool let's do six degrees from mind walk 
who was it, Steve? Yeah. Uh, Janeway references the time she turned into a salamander. Name that second season Voyager episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the title. I, I know the episode. Because right when he said it. One hint. Uh, I believe it was written by Braga. He would later create a TV show that had that was named this same title. And it, actually, that show, if I recall correctly, had Brent Spiner and uh, Peter Dinklage. But it didn't last long. Mm-hmm. It's not coming to me, though. Adam? I don't know. The only thing that comes to mind is Warp 10. But So clearly, Adam did not... Adam watched Fringe, but Adam did not watch Threshold. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. I just watched the Voyager episode of Lower Decks the other day. The, the robot oh, salamanders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty funny. <laughs> I only remember the name of that TV show and therefore the name of that episode because I went to the panel at Comic-Con one year because Peter Dinklage, I mean, this is like before Game of Thrones even, right? Peter Dinklage, and, and I was a fan of Peter Dinklage. Was it, was it before Elf? Station Agent. Uh, probably not, but it was definitely before Game of Thrones. And Peter Peter Dinklage was there, Brent Spiner was there, Braga was there, and some other, and everybody else from the cast. And it was, and it was in a small room and there was like, the first two rows were full and that was it. I mean, there was oh, nobody wow. there. Cool. <laughs> and, nice. um, and sure enough, yeah, nobody watched that show on it. But, but I do remember, the, the one thing I remember from that was somebody asking, I'm sure I've told this on our podcast before so many years ago, but somebody asked Brent Spiner, basically, you're rich and famous because of Star Trek. Why are you in this show? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, I like to go to work. Peter Dinklage is uh, in the new not yet released Toxic Avenger movie. Nice. Uh, So we got one significant piece of news this week, which I'm sure all of our listeners have already heard about by now. Netflix has picked up Star Trek Prodigy. They are going to have this first season available on Netflix shortly. I think this month or next month. Uh, And then sometime in 2024, they will air season two. Sounds like this is a global deal, I think. Not sure, but probably. I assume they're not taking actual ownership and they they're just have the show for X amount of years or whatever, I'm guessing. Does Netflix still show um, the other Trek series? No. Around CBS the world? got them all back whenever okay. they, at some point, because they wanted to have everything on. Because yeah, Discovery was showing in Europe and basically yeah, everywhere, but continent a while back, United States. But no, that's not the case anymore. Gotcha. But now they're going to, Netflix will have Prodigy. You know, they didn't really specify, but presumably if the show does really well, they would have the option to pick it up for another season or something. If it does well on Netflix, I mean. My only real concern, I wish I immediately texted you guys, which I'm sure the average person doesn't care. But my only concern is I want to make sure that it gets a physical media release. And I know Netflix is so against physical media. I certainly hope that CBS hasn't given up those rights, or at least that it says... You know, a year after it's aired on Netflix, they can put it on Blu-ray or something like that. Right, right. We probably won't know for a long time. Well, is CBS still producing it and Netflix buying it, or is Netflix taking over all the production? Well, the show is basically done. Oh, that's oh, the season three. You're talking about season two, right? Yes. Yeah. So the 20 episodes for season two, they said they would have completely finished before Christmas. So they've they've finished it. You know, Paramount kept spending the money to finish it, even though they pulled it off their Paramount Plus. So, 
I guess we'll find out next year. Some of these additional details, but it's good to know, of course, that we're going to have a place to watch it. Yeah, just just watching the episodes in preparation for this podcast, I yeah, I was thinking uh, at least we know we're going to see the next <laughs> the chapters after the end of the series. Now, the, up until this point, there was a chance, you know, that yeah, we'll see it. All right, so we're going to be back in a couple of weeks to finish season one with the final two episodes of season one. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Thank you so much for spending a half an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.